Bill Miller and Stephen Rolnick call it a particular kind of conversation about change. The language of motivational interviewing. That is change talk. What you want more people to talk about is the darn cats. Sustain talk. And then of course there's discord. Change talk. Sustain talk. Discord. Darn cats. Start with introductions, don't you? Sure. Yeah. Hi, I'm Martina Gleason. I'm a GP working as a GP supervisor as well. Like many women GPs, I do a lot of mental health and a lot of women's health. And I'm Monica Moore. I was a GP who did family medicine, and gradually I morphed into a psychotherapist and a medical educator. And so Martina and I are today going to talk about motivational interviewing. And a particular aspect of motivation interviewing, which is about the language of motivation interviewing, what's important to detect in what people say. That is change talk. What you want more people to talk about is the darn cats. Sustain talk. And then, of course, there's discord. So I wanted to start by just saying humans aren't logical. There are so many examples of people that you think otherwise are very intelligent and have lots of common sense, but they don't necessarily behave in logical ways. In your general practice, what would be some of the examples that you would say come to mind? Oh, people who don't get anxious about the fact that they smoke or that they drink too much or that they aren't getting enough sleep and don't make decisions to help enhance some of the better health choices they could be making and they just hope that they'll get away with it and everything will be all right. Mm. What about you? What other examples do you oh, see? Look, because I do psychotherapy now, like there are so many of them. You know, the people who get anxious on escalators or going on planes but have no fear at all of driving in cars. The, the list is endless. I'll admit to the sleeping thing. I find it very hard to convince myself when it's late at night that it's time for me to go to bed, even though I have clear evidence that a sleep-deprived moniker is not a good thing. Mm. Yeah, mm. so we, we all do it, I think. Mm. We all, I think it's because emotions get in the way of rational thought. You're so right. And, and so it's important for us to be aware that if it's happening for us, it's happening for our patients as well. And, and then, of course, there's that whole don't tell me what to do. Mm. That's right. And I'm not sure where it comes from. Maybe it's because people feel like they're being treated like a child. They get told what to do rather than working collaboratively to make a decision together that they feel they have ownership of. Yes, because if they ask you what should I do, it's completely different from you telling them what to do and they you can just see that kind of the body language <sighs> and you go, oh dear. Yes. And, and don't we remember as we were going through our resident training seeing head professor of cardiology standing over a bed and saying, you must lose weight and you must give up smoking and walking away fully convinced that because he's pronounced from on high, that's going to happen and everybody else in the room knows that it's not going to happen. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And sometimes, you know, as doctors, we think of our job as, you know, we just provide information um, and people make decisions, but actually it's a little bit more complex than that. So that's what we're going to talk about today is about how can we recognise some of the aspects of language and then when we do the workshops, we're going to practise both recognising and using some techniques to help people make better decisions. That's what motivational interviewing is about. Bill Miller and Stephen Rolnick, who are the originators of motivational interviewing as a technique, call it 
a particular kind of conversation about change, which is collaborative and it seeks to call forth the person's own motivation and commitment. And that's really important. It's got to be about their motivation. And so changing habits is, is hard work. Have you ever tried to change a habit? I think we all have habits we've tried to change. So, so what have you been successful at? Oh, see, already you're eliciting good change talk. What have I been successful at? I have actually been successful at uh, getting better sleep hours. Oh, excellent. So mm-hmm. Martina's just pointed out that change talk is what we want more of. We want people to be talking about their successes. We want people to be talking about positive things because when we hear ourselves speak, we, we start to believe in ourselves and have confidence in ourselves. So other examples of change talk are anything that people say about wanting or needing to change even before they've achieved success in something. For example, when someone expresses a desire to change. So that's when they say things like, I'd love to see my grandchildren grow up and I'd really like to be there when my granddaughter gets married. Or I want to see this job through and um, you know grow this business that I'm growing and see it be successful. Is that the sort of thing you mean? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So all of these things are people saying, you know, I want, I wish, I'd love to. And the second feature of change talk is when people say that they have the ability to change. So is that kind of, I could give up smoking any time I want or I could give up drinking any time I want? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it indicates, you know, that they're perfectly capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just need to acknowledge that and encourage it and say, well, that's great, you know. It's funny, though, when people say things like that, I always hear a butt coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll be talking about butts. We'll be talking about butts. So the butt is called sustained talk, and we're going to get to that later. There is a particular way of responding to the yes butts. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. important to know that. So I guess what you want to hear when you're talking about change talk is things like, I guess I could, when they're starting to actually think about and start to imagine themselves making that change and working out, what they feel capable of, what part of what we're talking about they feel capable of doing. Couldn't put it better myself. Okay. Yes. And so then the third aspect of change talk, which is when people talk about the reasons why change would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. The things would be that it's something that I'll be able to, it's my values. Right. So when they start saying things, like why it would be good for them to do that. They're buying into the idea. Yeah, and they sometimes mm-hmm. express it as a need, mm-hmm. not the reason to, you know, if I will do this, then I'll be able to. You know, I need to do something. Something has to change. Right. You know, like I remember when I was doing general practice and someone came in with their umpteenth respiratory infection in a short period of time and, and they turned around to me and said, I just can't keep taking time off work like this. Something needs to change and I need to give up smoking. And, uh, you know, so it was a real a real need, you know, that they, they couldn't take that much time off work. And that's a real gift for us as a GP because it's like a strike while the iron is hot. Yes. They put that out there and then helping them form that into an intention for change. It's a gift really, isn't it? It is, it is. And we can ask mm. them more about it. Tell me more about that, you know, because that's what mm. you want to do. You want them to be giving you the change talk. Mm. Mm. And then there's commitment. There are people who have already kind of started their change so any examples that you've got of that it's not really medical but I've been keeping a written diary it's called a bullet journal 
and I started it because I felt like I had so many commitments all up in the air and I, I needed to get them on paper because then I wouldn't forget commitments I'd made to myself or tasks that I'd set myself. And that has been a big change for me. It's helped me get more organised. Mm-hmm. So I made a commitment to myself to try and get that happening so that I would achieve other goals that I had. That's clearly an example because it involves actually sitting down and, and buying the materials and then writing in it regularly and thinking about it. And that's that's definitely a commitment. And so the the commitment is that, you know, you've committed to become more organised and this is one of the tools that you're going to use to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've heard people being committed, you know, I'm going to start um, not being a smoker on Monday. That's what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, mm. And so the next step that is activation, which is when people start to think about how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. One for me was when a woman said, you know, I think I might just start to change my diet by not putting soft drinks in my shopping trolley. And I thought, what a great idea. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that was her showing that she's actually sort of, starting to do something mm-hmm. um, and the last one is taking steps so actually doing something that shows that you're going to make a step toward that change in habit so joining a gym or buying a book about changing eating plan that you might want to do or buying a book about a change in communication strategy you want to use with your significant other that you're having problems with that sort of thing yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. you're actually sort of doing some physical things changing your behavior towards that goal yeah and so if you think about you know change talk and all the things that we've been talking about miller and rolnick said that it can be best remembered as an acronym darn cats and so sometimes you're thinking what you want more people to talk about is the darn cats Uh uh-huh and so so that's the desire the ability the reason, the need, the commitment, activation and taking steps. Perfect. Great. Now, getting back to that yes but Mm. that you were talking about, that sustained talk. Now, all of us are ambivalent about change. So we've got the positive and the negative arguments inside of us. And sustained talk really describes the negative argument. And so what examples do you have of sustained talk? I don't have time, I've got too much to do, it's too hard, I can't afford it, I'm too tired, I've tried it before, it didn't work. Um, I need my vices. Mm -hmm. I live such a good life, this one vice is what I need, otherwise I'd be boring. That's right, yes. But I can't give up red wine, I wouldn't be Italian. Oh, um, that's right. Yes, you know. So you know, I have to wait for this thing to happen, and then I'll be ready. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are so many ways that we can, you know, sort of express our ambivalence, and and all of this is called sustained talk. And so there are particular ways that we're going to be practicing in the workshop, which is how do you deal with sustained talk? But the take home message is that we listen to people's emotions, because you know how you were saying earlier that. A lot of the stuff is emotions get in the way. Mm. Um, and mm. so we listen to people's emotions. So the first thing to do is to recognise the sustained talk. Yeah. And then to try and recognise the emotion behind it. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. And, um, and then reflect it back. Right. You say you're too busy to exercise. You sound exhausted. So in motivational interviewing, is it helpful to really examine the sustained talk? 
or does that get in the way of actually eliciting change talk? It's a really good point because in the olden days when Bill Miller and and Stephen Rolnick first put this together, they had this thing where they said, what are the positives and negatives of staying the same and the positive and negatives of change? And they say, don't do that anymore right? because it gets sustained talk. And you want people to be speaking change talk. Right. Because it's like people who, you know, if you're listening to a scary story late at night and then you start repeating to yourself that, you know, that you see things moving and you can hear sounds you can't explain then you scare yourself further and further Mm. and it's the same thing with sustained talk if we spend too much time arguing about it and pointing out you know the sort of the positive well then what happens is the clinician ends up saying all the change talk and the person ends up saying all the sustained talk with the yes but and they sustain themselves into staying the same staying the same (laughs) yeah okay so it's actually better to just reflect it back and sometimes give them their wish in fantasy. Like, you know, when someone says they're, they're too busy to exercise, you can go, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could clone ourselves? You know, and one person goes out to work and does whatever and the other person goes and exercises. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And it just puts a layer of understanding and, you know, we're collaborating. But humour sometimes helps people to actually see, oh, yeah, I would need to clone myself. There's got to be a different way of doing this. So that diffuses the sustained talk and it might actually get the patient back into the change talk. Yeah, and if you want to know more about giving wish and fantasy and reflecting emotion and validating emotion, there's a really good book which is actually designed for parents called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk and a version to do with teens by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. And it's very clearly documented in those books, which are easy to read, about how to do that. And even though, you know, we're not talking about parenting here, we're talking about clinicians helping people make better lifestyle changes, just the communication style is a really useful way of of dealing with sustained talk. And we might provide a link to that book in the um, attachment with the podcast. Absolutely. Um, And so lastly, we just want to talk about Discord. That's not change talk and is not sustained talk, but we need to recognise it as a language pattern. Because that's when you and the patient end up at loggerheads. Absolutely. <laughs> and the patient gets upset. And the doctor is left upset too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a good feeling all around. Mm-hmm. So as the clinician, that's when you feel yourself really getting blocked by the patient. Mm. Uh, it's not just, oh, I don't have time, but it's, It's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, Absolutely. Not now, Doc. Right. Or, no, that's not important to me. I'm not going there today. Yeah. Or where I mentioned to someone, is it okay if we talk about smoking? You know, asking permission, that kind of thing. And the person was so angry and said, you kept me waiting for half an hour and now you want to talk about my smoking? And, you know, smoke was pouring out of their ears and it feels very unpleasant. It does. It does. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, and even just the body language, you know, the eye roll, the the face closing down, the turning of the body away. So clearly they don't want to discuss it. So what is that just telling us they don't want to discuss it or is that telling us something else? We don't know, do we? Mm -hmm. We need to find out. And so one of the the things that we'll be practising is how to manage discord. Um, Do we need to apologise? I mean, I certainly apologise for keeping the person waiting for half an hour. That's what they were angry about. Mm. What other things do you do when you're managing discord? I'll often say, oh, it seems like we've got off onto the wrong foot or that's an interesting reaction. 
I'm sorry you feel that way. Do you want to tell me more about that? Giving them the opportunity to maybe say that they have had a bad interaction with another doctor over the same thing or whatever the reason might be. Because then you can reflect empathetically about their previous experience and maybe get back on the same page. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to agree to take a rain check if someone's too upset about something because scrambling back on to being on the right foot can be challenging. But you might make it easier once we've done the workshop. <laughs> That's exactly what we'll be practising. We'll be practising how do we just put a pause in it and just validate their emotions again. Wow, that was a really big reaction. You sound really angry. You sound really annoyed, frustrated. Because even being heard and validated helps people yeah. to come back into mm. a more calm space to be able to discuss the problem. And sometimes all we need to do, especially if we run out of time, is to say, look, how about we talk this, about this another time? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm your doctor. I'm looking after you. It's important for me to look after your health. Now might not be a good time, but any other time, you know, mm. I might bring it up again and just ask you, is it okay if we talk about it? But when you're mm. ready, mm. and just yeah. acknowledge that they might not be ready now. Sometimes you can just sort of say something like, as your doctor, it's my job to ask you about these things. I probably will ask you about it again. You'd be disappointed in me if I didn't because it's actually showing an interest in your health. And that gives them a description of what my role is but it also acknowledges that they're not ready to hear the message yet. Yeah. Um, but you'll have other ways that, of dealing with it. And that's yep. a very respectful way of dealing with another human being. Mm. And it's important that, you know, if nothing else, that they leave the room kind of going, I was respected and I was treated well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So this is a summary. This is, this is the summary of the language of motivational interviewing, that there's change talk, Anything that the patient says that is in the interest of positive change and we encourage them by asking them about it, tell me more. And then there's sustained talk, which is the yes buts, anything the patient says, which is about staying the same. And, you know, there are lots of techniques for dealing with that, but basically we don't want them to say very much about it. And then, of course, there's discord, which is what we mean when, you know, when there is conflict. And there's also facts and information, you know. So what are the examples of facts and information that people will say? Uh, well, how much they smoke or how much they drink or how much they exercise, mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. what their current habits are. Yeah, mm. that's right. You know, and yes and no sort of questions. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to working with you and helping you to develop your techniques of increasing the change talk, managing the sustained talk and dealing with the discord. Thank you, Martin. That's been wonderful.